Hello, and welcome to the Cannabis Corner. I am your host, Joshua Braff, and I'm here with my partner, Farmer Adam Teitelbaum. Today, we have Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, and we are going to talk about cannabis and some of the things that the senator has been discussing on social media lately. I'm going to read something, Senator, and then we'll get going. New Jersey is arresting more people for marijuana than ever, ACLU report finds. If you lined up every person who had been arrested on marijuana charges in the Garden State since 2000, according to a new report from the state chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union, they would stretch the entire length of the New Jersey Turnpike and into Maryland. The advocacy group found marijuana arrests in the state have climbed steadily in recent years, disproportionately targeting African-American New Jerseyans. Diana Howe knew the group's police council called the issue a civil rights crisis. Senator Booker, weigh in on this for us. The new reel of cannabis in our, our world is opening for people, allowing people to consider it as medicine, very young people, very old people. The packaging for this holistic-esque weed is just like that of the holistic world world. And still, many, many, many African Americans are in prison in New Jersey, and it spiked during the Chris Christie administration. Let me know where you weigh in on this as cannabis becomes more ubiquitous in the country. Well, I think we have a moral crisis in our nation. What we've done with this prohibition against marijuana has caused untold suffering to individuals, to communities. It's hurt our country. It's caused more violence. Uh, it's expanded our prison populations at an astonishing rate and denied this nation the resources we should be applying towards public safety, towards education, to infrastructure. And so, to me, I see this as a crisis. We know there's no difference in America between black and white for using marijuana or even dealing marijuana, but rates for African Americans are almost four times higher than they are for whites. This has been a, a war against drugs, which has really been a war against people, people of color, poor people in general, uh, as well as folks who are struggling with diseases or mental health issues. And so we are in a crisis also because of the urgent need for marijuana for medical purposes. You see so many people in our country who understand, whether it's soldiers with PTSD or parents raising children with things like Gervais syndrome who fall into seizures, who find themselves in this awful situation where they risk their freedom because they know that this drug could help them with their disease or help them with their challenges or help their child have a more healthy life. And, and it's even worse than that. Uh, when you think about, in this nation, violent crime and how right now in America we, have, we had more marijuana arrests last year than violent crime arrests and how we have serious issues for public safety like the opioid crisis, but yet we're still extending so much of our resources. So for me, this is a, a moral issue. It's a racial justice issue. It's an issue of equality and fairness towards uh, low-income folks because we know at colleges and universities like Stanford or Yale where I went or privileged communities uh, like the Senate where I sit, people cavalierly talk about their drug uh, experimentation and their drug use with no fear of crime. But if you're in a poor community, if you're a person of color in such a community, your chances of having your life upended for doing things two of the last three presidents have admitted to doing, you see the unfairness of the criminal justice system and what we're doing. So my push has been two major pieces of uh, legislation, one a bipartisan piece of legislation on medical marijuana and the other, the Marijuana Justice Act, uh, really is focusing on dealing with this crisis. And the Marijuana Justice Act isn't just about legalizing marijuana on the federal level and letting states do uh, what they want, but it's also about expunging records uh, for people whose lives still, because most people don't know that 
But once you have a criminal conviction in this country, it's a lifetime sentence. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get many jobs. You can't even get food stamps or public housing. And in many places, like Florida, for example, you can't vote. In Florida, where one in five African Americans now have lost their uh, voting rights because of felony disenfranchisement. So my law is about expunging records. It's about reinvesting in those communities so severely targeted by marijuana prohibition and finding ways to empower other states uh, to take steps uh, in correcting this crisis. I think that's a very, very good plan in that these are individuals who come from families. They are fathers, they are sons, they are daughters and mothers. And the arrest was for a nonviolent cannabis crime, say, in 1996 or earlier or later. And there's some human beings stewing in prison while the world opens itself to the notion of cannabis as medicine. The FDA is starting to feel a little bit like big tobacco, in a sense, if you're reading and listening to what's happening with the opioid crisis. So the other thing that sort of snags the progressive movement that so much of us are feeling is the current administration and where New Jersey finds itself with a Democratic governor, still there's this attorney general who seems to prioritize cannabis as a as a great crime or is confused by his priorities in not seeing that this is a healthy move and that the backlash from marijuana certainly is not to be blamed on the opioid crisis, which is devastating um, certain communities, filling the morgues in Ohio, as it were. Adam, would you like to weigh in? Yeah, I do. Um, I wanted to ask you, Senator Booker, about the Marijuana Justice Act and the chances you think of it has in moving forward and actually becoming law someday. Well, I, I really appreciate the question because a lot of people say, well, you're never going to get something like this done. And people need to understand that all great movements for justice in this country started with uh, legislation people thought was impossible, whether it's voting rights legislation, civil rights legislation, even the ideals of equal suffrage for women in this country, uh, workers' rights in this country. So many of the big issues of justice, marriage equality, seem to be impossible at one point, but eventually became possible, sometimes quicker than people thought. The consciousness of our country is shifting dramatically around marijuana. You're seeing more and more states move that way. And when Jeff Sessions recently reversed the Cole memo, which was the memo that really instructed prosecutors not to prioritize marijuana crimes, well, he did a reversal on that, putting a chill across our country in states that have either legalized marijuana or uh, medical marijuana. You saw this backlash from Republican senators, including Cory Gardner from Colorado, who was opposed to Colorado's efforts to legalize. He came back really hard at Jeff Sessions. So suddenly you're starting to see more and more voices on both sides of the aisle speak to this issue. We know that Americans that are 40 years and younger, that Republican and Democrat, they favor uh, legalization. And so I, I see that the pathway is opening. We just recently picked up House sponsors for this legislation. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll gain some ground. Uh, this might not ever be something that Donald Trump signs into law, but I think we can continue to get momentum based on two things. One is the state experiments continue to show great benefit, especially the revenues that are being drawn from this. If this was a nationally, federally taxed product, we would bring billions of dollars into uh, our coffers, which could deal with our deficit issues, as well as deal with a lot of the other competing priorities here. 
And then the other thing I see that's really positive is just more activism around this issue. You two are an example of that. People that are raising their voices, getting the message out, educating people about the realities, and creating more of a movement in this country against marijuana prohibition. Well, well, I have been a follow-up question to that. To that, do you think it's possible that a President Booker could eventually sign the <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what. Well, I am determined right now to run for re-election as a United States senator. I will say this quite confidently. If I was president of the United States, trust me, criminal justice reform as a whole would be a priority for me. But, but clearly, uh, marijuana justice uh, would be uh, one of the things that would be. Uh, something I would love to see achieved. So uh, I'm going to fight this fight no matter what job I'm in, whether it's in the Senate or private civilian, because I see what this is doing to uh, my state. I live in an inner city. I, I think I'm the only United States senator that lives in an urban core, predominantly black and Latino neighborhood, and I've seen what prohibition has done in destroying lives, devastating communities, hurting us economically, making us less safe. So this is a passion for mine. This is one of my values. I know uh, when I started talking about this issue, it wasn't a popular thing to do, but I'm I'm really buoyed by the fact that more and more people uh, believe in it. So wherever I go, whatever position I hold, uh, you will hear me pushing and fighting for this kind of criminal justice reform. Well, it's interesting. You know, uh, just either yesterday or the day before, I believe, the first legislative legalization of cannabis happened in Vermont. And it sounds like that's going to be happening in New Jersey as well. So maybe it'll be that so many states keep legalizing that'll almost push towards the Marijuana Justice Act. I think you're right. There's going to come a time, sooner than people think, that there'll be a tipping point in America, not only in the popular belief that we should end prohibition, but there'll be a tipping point with states that actually have done something about it. And look, states are going to get this better and get better and better at this. We've learned lessons already from Colorado about edibles and labeling and how to regulate this properly. And I think the more and more states, people living in states are seeing that it's not only is it doing uh, no, the harms that often the fear-mongering around this tries to rip up, but it's actually having a positive effect in terms of state revenue, investments in roads and bridges and education and, and the like. I just think that, that you're right. The states moving first is going to give momentum to our, uh, to our federal government and give uh, folks like me uh, more strength in this fight. Yeah, and the, the other thing that's interesting, I don't know if you, you're aware that I live in Colorado. I, I grew up in New Jersey with Josh, and actually and my father was uh, director of Newark Beth Israel uh, Hospital's uh, pediatric center for, for years and years. So I spent a lot of time going into Newark and seeing my father treating people, local residents, for free, and uh, really uh, love the community of Newark. But on a side to that, we've had a reduction in opioid use here in Colorado, yes. legalization. So I, I don't understand why Jeff Sessions doesn't see that. He almost equates cannabis as a problem with the opioid crisis, when in fact it's actually a solution to help wipe out the opioid crisis. Well, what you're saying is so true. People think it's an on-ramp drug, but many more doctors are coming forward and saying, wait a minute, this is an off-ramp drug for my patients. I do want to say something, because you mentioned your dad, and, you're, and your dad is really one of the more righteous people I've met in my journey. Uh, you, you, you undersell the kind of things that he's doing. There's a uh, term that many might know uh, called a mensch, and that, that's who your father is. And what I love about him is, you know, we know our values as a country, not by how loudly we can sing the national anthem uh, or how proudly we pledge allegiance to the flag. Patriotism is best seen and not heard. 
uh, as will be do for other Americans. And here we are a country that pledges allegiance to a flag. We really are swearing an oath to this ideal of liberty and justice for all. Well, that doesn't just happen, and these are important aspirations in our country that we're not experiencing yet. Your dad was one of these people who, a guy who uh, came up from Newark but left Newark, did well for himself, uh, but successful, but has spent so much of his life giving back. Newark used to have one of the most famous Jewish communities in the Weequake section. Um, now is a predominantly black community, and your father led the efforts in that high school to support high school students with scholarships and more. And that's a guy who is living his oath. Uh, I always say about religion, before you tell me about your religion, first show it to me and how you treat other people. Well, we have a civic gospel as well. It shouldn't be heard only. It should be seen in how we treat other Americans. And so for this larger marijuana issue, look, I don't, I've never used marijuana, never tried it. I, I've never drank alcohol in my life. But for me, this isn't an issue of using a, a drug or wanting to be used, used. It's an issue of justice for me because this is, this marijuana prohibition is perpetuating a massive injustice in our country. And I'm telling you right now, the opposite of, uh, of justice is not injustice. It's silence, it's inaction, and it's apathy. This should be a, a movement in our country, not just by people who want to go into marijuana business or use the product themselves, but a justice, uh, it should be a movement about creating more racial justice in this country, more economic justice in this country, better criminal justice in this country. And I'm hoping, like your father, who didn't just say, hey, me and my family made it, and sit on the sidelines of this country, luxuriating in the blessings of this democracy. But your father went back to the work to serve this democracy through his service for people who didn't pray like him or look like him, but they were his fellow Americans. And so my call, especially people who listen to your podcast, is see this is what it is. This is about the larger movement for liberty and justice in our country. And marijuana uh, prohibition is something that is wrong, and we should be fighting it no matter who you are, uh, we should be involved and engaged in this lar- larger fight in the same way we've seen other great movements in this country advance this, this nation further towards its principles of liberty and justice. Wow, well said. And that was you're, you're, you're talking about Hal Brass there, right? Yes, yes, yes. Both of our dads have this in common in that their careers, one as a doctor and one as an attorney, did very much involve Newark. My dad went to Weequoyuk when it was an entirely Jewish school and is and was the head of the Alumni Association for Weequoyuk High School today. There is no bigger fan for their uh, football and basketball teams. There is no bigger fan who is interested in helping those students see their way to higher education. And so we come from those families. We come from Columbia High School, which was not a homogeneous situation. It was a a diverse one economically and ethnically. And we find ourselves watching the evolution of this relatively banal drug that was doghoused with heroin and cocaine and seeing states have this revenue boost, seeing states who are smart enough to lift the stigma, to allow small children and to alleviate major diseases, and then you've got the elderly who have migraines for 50 years and have been using pharmaceuticals that the doctors recommended. So the new real is very, very open and and healthy and in the interest of human beings finding uh, harmony. So in the midst of this, you've got jails packed with non-criminals in various states and a White House that is apathetic at best, definitely wobbly on ethics no matter how you come in it. 
Senator Booker, I got word from Jeff that you have to go. And I want to say that I'm very, very grateful that you came on the Cannabis Corner to talk to us. You are such a hero in the midst of some strange political grayness. And I want to thank you very, very much. I want to thank you all. Uh, we were all together in this fight. It came to it more eloquently than I could that when he wrote in the letter from the Birmingham jail that we're all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a common garment of destiny that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. You all are living that. Uh, I'm, I'm just so grateful for both of you. Both of your fathers uh, uh, should have uh, nachas, uh, uh pride in uh, the lives you guys are living Baldwin, in fact, said that children are never good at listening to their elders, but they never fail to imitate them. You definitely are uh, are models of what your how your fathers both lived and are living. Uh, and I just want to thank you. You are brothers of mine in this cause, uh, and may we all three of us may we live to see the, a day where uh, around issues of marijuana prohibition that finally justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. So thank you both. Wow! Thank you so much, Senator Booker. Thank you, Senator Booker. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye now. Hello, Cannabis Corner listeners. We hear a lot about people with insomnia and sleeping issues. We want to mention a couple of ways to approach this when you go into your dispensary. Indicas tend to treat insomnia most effectively. Edibles can help you stay asleep longer. Aged cannabis can have sleepier effects than fresh flower. And go easy on the high THC strains if it's anxiety that's keeping you up. We so hope this works. And now more with our interview with attorneys Claudia Fu and Iran Hopkins. We were discussing the new look of the cannabis patient these days. The stereotypical stoner is now has white hair, and her name is May, and she can't believe <laughs> that she just spent the last 50 years taking the pill her, da- her doctor suggested. Um, what a weird story, and, and, and so hard to predict from the years in which Adam and I, we had parents who are progressives, who had were very frightened by what was making us feel better in 1984, 5, 6. It would be years later that the two of us convinced them that we were not doing something outlawish, or it was we're outlawish. Bad. Yeah, we're bad for us. And I mean, I'm just now helping my dad, who's quite ill, understand what non euphoric means. So, um, what an interesting. Non euphoric. I like that. Yes, non-euphoric, uh, non-psychoactive. Those are the terms we have when we're trying to say, this will not make you feel anything but better. But there's a wariness of what could happen. Am I going to put this thing under my tongue that says CBD and will it be a gateway drug? Well, that's a good question. Since you're putting it under your tongue and letting letting it just go, let's see. In other words, education here is crucial. Less is more. We keep saying the same things. But experimenting is crucial as well on the safe side with good coaching because people try a super minor dose of edible or CBD alone, and they feel like they're they're risking taking a tab of acid and they're going to lose control. Right. I've never done acid, but I just know that, like, the fear that people have if they've never tried it is like they're going to lose control and go crazy. Right, just keep slipping down the slide that uh, oftentimes is not there. 
the slipping down the slide thing comes from I ate a brownie. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't feel drunk in any way. So I ate two more, you know. And then there's a terrible experience that leads the person to say, I'll just drink. I'll just drink and take whatever pain pill I can get my hands on. But I'm staying away from that that scary, uh, wacky tabacky. Um, so tons of stories like that. But in the new reel, of course, it's let's have let's lift the stigma so that we can have a discussion. This is a sliver of a brownie. This is going to this particular pill is going to dissolve under your tongue. And it's helping tons of people who are have zero interest in being high, as it were, or looking at all like Cheech and Chong. <laughs> That's the stereotype. So uh, we open the world to a new realm of language. And with the two of you doing what you're doing, and your desk is just piled today, I know it, with new cases. I wanted to ask you your thoughts about the incarcerated. Uh, it comes up a lot in our world. There are people spending life in prison for nonviolent cannabis crimes. Uh, if you were busted in 1983 with 10 pounds of weed, uh, it wasn't going to be a good trial for you. Do you to read about or consider who's in prison around you? Uh, what comes to mind when I talk about that? Shouldn't there be a, a realization of re-realizing these particular cases? Yes, and that was the most one of the most beautiful things about Prop 54 is that while the adult use rules were going to be coming into effect in 2018, the reclassification of marijuana-related offenses was immediate, beginning the next day. So that means that is so important because for a number of reasons we all know, uh, cannabis and pot was being used as probable cause to frisk teenagers and college students, and a lot of those are disproportionately minorities. And and with Prop 64, you can no longer use marijuana odor as a reason for probable cause. Oh, interesting. Wow. To frisk someone. Hmm. And a lot of the, if you have a joint in your pocket, it's no longer illegal. Uh, you can have on your person up to an ounce of flour and eight grams of concentrate. And and then, you know, the the it steps up from there. But the next thing is a infraction tickets. So that was one of the most important aspects of Prop 64, the social justice piece. And those same rules apply to convictions that had they been convictions today or, or violations today, they can be reclassified. So people who have felonies and misdemeanors on their records for offenses that are no longer offenses after Prop 64, they can petition to have those demoted or taken off the record. Okay, good. Oh, that's great. We don't we don't have that in Colorado. I wish we had had something like that uh, written into our law here. We we had the piece about the smell, and that was when they had to start retraining dogs out here. Because if they were hitting on cannabis, then that search was going to be no good. You know, while we have two lawyers here, and speaking of legality of cannabis, because uh, some people will say there is no such thing as legal cannabis because it is federally illegal, it gets hazy when people talk about legal and illegal. If I'm correct, California 
first legalized it in back in 1996 uh, or 96 or 98, something like that. And Colorado um, followed suit and legalized it in 2000. Um, and the first time that I consider myself legal, because Joshua will very often say, you know, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't legal. Well, it depends because it's been medically legal here in Colorado since 2000. And I started to participate in the program in 2005 is when I kind of came above ground as a grower and a uh, user of cannabis and a caregiver. Um, so what's what's your feel on, you know, when was cannabis, when has it become legal, or is it not legal? In California, we've had, you know, a 21-year history, right, since 1996. So to us, it is legal, right? It's just only but the medical regime is what controls today. So you do need a doctor recommendation. You do need to be part of a collective or a cooperative. So I think what Josh is probably – Josh, you must have been referring to then – really the recreational user versus, like, recreationally it wasn't legal, but medicinally it was. Is that maybe how you've been thinking about it? Well, I always mention 08 because uh, Adam and I were making a documentary together. I I arrived with the equipment, and Adam's an old friend, and I said, you're a grower, and you have three children, and you're like a suburban dad, but you're a grower in an industry in which you, let's put it this way, it was illegal if you didn't have a medical card. And also in 08... And it gets really hazy from there as to whether or not, where you can grow, how many you can grow, what can you charge, are you making a profit? It it gets very hazy very fast under the Prop 215 or the existing medical rules because those rules, all they did was create certain immunities from prosecution under the law. It wasn't a legal business. You could not run it as a business. Right. That is where it's very confusing. And then when you add the legacy operators who might not have been that sophisticated of a business person to before getting into the space, you know, what is a nonprofit? Well, they're saying you cannot commerce in cannabis for profit. But that doesn't mean that you don't need to report all your taxes, right? Like mm-hmm. there, there are just a lot of the gray area protected certain people if you had the right protections, but it created a lot of exposure because of the lack of understanding, I think, in the community. Yeah, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Can I have to go back to something, though? Sure. When we were talking about the social justice element. Yes. We see a lot of professionals and elected officials like assembly members, city council people who are very strong proponents of this industry and including populations that may have been disproportionately affected. So to me, that means like people who might have been arrested or have felonies, but The challenge that we are seeing as we're creating comments to the regulations proposed by the state is that the state still is focused on cannabis as a criminal enterprise and hasn't done that pivot to business and science. So the rules as they were proposed earlier this year under MRSA in June have very strong prohibitions on any sort of criminal record even having any ownership. Any sort of criminal record being involved in management, 
So there is still a lot of room to grow and to... Wait, wait, I got I to gotta ask you, Iran, when you say any criminal record, are you talking petty offenses, misdemeanors, or are you just talking felonies? What's the cutoff? It, is, it goes to both ways. First of all, one of the owner questions is, please list every single traffic infraction you've ever had, any sort of arrest or misdemeanor. They want to collect the information, which is a booby trap, right? Because who's going to remember the ticket they got like 20 years ago? Um, And then, of course, there's no instructions on how to get your record so you can cross-reference it and submit it, right? So to me, these are all little booby traps that can be then used to somehow you light on your application. But the bigger issue is that felonies, Okay, so there there is language that says felonies that would not be a felony under Prop 64. You should try to make it go away or get it demoted, reclassified, but you still have to report it. And this is where I see the problem is that if you were involved in a quote-unquote serious felony, then you're not even allowed to be an owner. That's how it is here. You can't even work in the industry at the lowest level in Colorado if you have a felony on your record you're not in the industry. You're out. Exactly. So that's where I think there's this huge disconnect with a lot of our elected officials who are saying this is going to bring industry to, for example, to South Central Los Angeles, where we have so many families that have been disproportionately affected by the drug war. I don't know how we're going to make it happen, right? Because unless we can get the state of California to modify some of those rules, a lot of those people won't be able to work in the businesses that are being welcomed into their community. So it'll maybe create a little bit more of a tax base for the community, but it's not exactly going to be creating jobs in that community. So That is such a good point that I think is completely overlooked, and I, I never even considered it like that. And we'll have more with our interview with attorneys Claudia Fu and Iran Hopkins in a future episode of The Cannabis Corner. Thank you so much for listening to The Cannabis Corner. Don't forget to look for us on Twitter and Instagram. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time on The Cannabis Corner. Mm-hmm.